Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you... Room tone. Let's go. I'm talking to you from upstate New York, in the woods, in a cabin, essentially. Which, those of you who know me know that this is not my happy place. (laughs) Except it kind of is, because I am doing the Urban Tantra Retreat Weekend. And if you know Barbara Corellis, and you know anything about Urban Tantra, you will know that this is an amazing place to be. It also means that I have to jam in recording my podcast into the rest of my life. What is amazing and fantastic is that I am graced with the presence of 25 amazing souls. And I have a couple of them here in my hotel room this evening. Valentina, who is amazing and wonderful, came up to me today and said, can I ask you questions about SM? And I said, of course. She said, can I ask you anything? And I said, well, who are you fucking talking to? It's me. Of course you can fucking ask me anything. And so we are here and we're going to chat. I have no idea what these questions are going to be, but I would love to just introduce my new friend, Valentina. Hello. Hi. Who the hell are you? (laughs) Well, tough question. And I think I thought it was me asking the tough question. I go first. (laughs) Um, I'm an intimacy coach and I'm a breathwork practitioner. Mm. Uh, Together with my wife, Sarah, we uh, formed a holistic container for transformation that is called Rising Love. And we like to support people just uh, in their journey of self-discovery and of unleashing their true self. Mm-hmm. Which is juicy and delicious and fucking awful, uh, awful, awesome. It is awful. There is an, uh, but in, I mean it in the word of awfulness, because awful actually comes from having awe. That's the root of the word. And so the fact that it has become something that's scary is kind of interesting, isn't it? Totally. totally. <laughs> and it, is, it is awesome. I know, like, oh, all making. <laughs> So we are here, and it's funny because I started thinking about the stuff I've talked about on my podcast, and I certainly have talked about SM, but I haven't had the opportunity to have someone bring questions from the field, questions that you are encountering in your work, questions that you might have personally, and to talk about those. I feel like that breathes so much more life into me just sitting here talking, which is fascinating. Don't get me wrong. I'm amazing. (laughs) But to have another voice in the room is also exponentially better. So please... What would you like to talk about first? Well, first to start, I would hi- uh, highly appreciate just BDSM is something that's a little scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess when I first heard about it and started reading about it, it sounded very intense. Yeah. It made me feel very, very vanilla. 
<laughs> I, I, know, like, oh, I thought I was like, you're like, I'm cutting edge. I'm yeah. doing all the freaky stuff. And then they're like, Oh honey. Yeah. I was like, Oh, there is a, a whole other world around it. <laughs> so my first question is, yeah, just to kind of, how can you get yourself introduced to BDSM mm -hmm. in a, soft way or like yeah, yeah no without like okay maybe i this is not my thing but like right. actually i want to go ahead and take another peek sure one of the things actually is interesting is that when i first came into the scene there were very very few books it was maybe about a dozen or so of like the sort of classic you know sm 101 screw the roses send me the thorns the topping book the bottoming book these were the books i was reading in the mid 90s but there wasn't much else. And the sort of canon of kink literature wasn't really growing. And I would have people all the time ask me this exact question. And I said, wow, there's not really a book that helps people sort of figure out from zero to I might be kinky, I just don't know what do I do. And so I'm the co-author of a book actually called Playing Well with Others, Your Guide to Exploring, Discovering, and Navigating the Kink, Leather, and BDSM Communities. Oh, wow, nice. And I'm the co-author, Lee Harrington is the other author of the book, and we literally just sat there and wrote a list of advice and then fleshed in that advice with anecdotes and stories and other stuff to sort of guide people through. So for example, one of the things that I tell people when they're first thinking about kink, because as you say, you can think you're doing some saucy shit and then you get in there and you're like, oh my God, what even is pony play? <laughs> so we have something, there's something that's pretty common among kinky people called the BDSM checklist. Okay. And it is purely a list of things you can do types of fetishes, types of play, types of instruments. And there's like a couple of hundred things on this list. And then you check like, yes, no, maybe, ah, terrified or, oh my God, yes. And what's great about it is that you can sit there and just do this yourself. And it'll, there'll be stuff on there you've probably never heard of. And if you go and you, I'll put a link, I'll have Corey, please put a link in the show notes because I'm so fucking fancy <laughs> with a link to um, an example of a BDSM checklist because they are very helpful because it's per private, completely private. It's just you sitting there thinking, okay, maybe I don't think I want to grow up and be a furry, which are people who pretend to be animals and either just that's the whole thing, or they engage in sex that way. But I'm curious about what that means. What's great about a checklist is a first, no pressure. And then it's exposing you to new stuff, but it also gives the opportunity to sit there, go on the internet, fuck up your entire search history, <laughs> look these things up and then be like, Oh yeah, that's amazing. Or Holy shit. Never no. <laughs> ever. Are you crazy? Because once you start to realize what you are very interested in and what you are absolutely not interested in that extreme, like the shit that makes you want to run the other way. Those are the most important boundaries to find mm -hmm. the stuff that you're like, no, 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 absolutely not. Because that can help to springboard you and get you your appetite juiced up for the stuff you really do want to do. And so a checklist is a really good way to sort of get yourself started. And then I'm going to advise people to go and look for porn, okay. find porn that is reflecting your fantasy. If you are someone who's like, oh, spanking, go look at some spanking porn. See what about it entices you. Are you interested in the sound of the spanking? Because for some people, they just want to go to a dungeon party and listen to people screaming and moaning and the rhythmic slaps of the flogger. That for them, their ears are having, you know, 
oral sex, A-U-R-A-L. So for people who are voyeurs, for example, going to a play party and being in that energy is all they want. Maybe that's all you need. I try to encourage people to consider themselves to be kinky regardless. You thinking kinky thoughts? Welcome, you're a pervert. Come in, have a cheese cube. (laughs) Because isn't it more liberating to think of yourself as like an awesome kinky free spirit? And then what do you do with that energy than thinking, oh, I'm just this innocent vanilla person tiptoeing in. Own it. Own it and explore from the point of view of, I am a sexual astronaut exploring (laughs) new frontiers because it's so much more fun. I want to empower people to feel like the gorgeous, sexy degenerates that they want to be and then figure out what that means for them. And you might not ever take it real time. And that's completely fine. It might be, and this is what I tell people, when you're first starting, maybe you don't need to go full ham and wind up in a corset in six-inch platform heels. Perhaps those gentle moments of sexy fantasies and watching some sexy movies is enough for you. But if you discover it's not enough for you, now you have language to start to access what you want. Okay. Okay. And what would be that next step? So let's say I went and I watched my, I did my checklist. I went and Mm -hmm. and watched my porn and I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready for that next level. And let's say it's going to be spanking. So is it just a Google search to see what's going on in my neighborhood? Or that sounds that it can be a little bit sketchy. Or, yeah. or what would be kind of the ne- to, to actually get mm-hmm. um, to where it's happening, exactly. right? Well, there's several issues here. If you're in a relationship, then hopefully you are discussing this also with your partner. I am a huge advocate And I wholeheartedly support people being open with their partners when it comes to their desires. If you have any familiarity with my owner and husband, he tells a story. His story is so replete with cheating and lying and going behind the back and as a cisgender woman who's been dating men for years, I'm like, oh, men who cheat. But this was the first time I sat and I listened to the story and I said, wow, you really felt like you had no other choice. Married, kids, career. I don't want to fuck this up, but I have this burning desire that's obsessing my brain. I can't sleep without, how can I do this? And so, you know, he made these choices. Don't agree with them, but those choices were made. And so if you're in a relationship, I advise people, talk to your partner. It may seem daunting and it may seem like, oh my God, how can I tell my partner of however many years or how can I tell this totally vanilla person that this is what I want? Here's the thing. You should know. And you should also know that statistically, there's an incredibly high success rate of the other person you're involved with saying, huh, I mean, (laughs) hmm, huh, let's check that out together. Yeah. When I first got into kink and I was just being the missionary, I was like, perversion is amazing. (laughs) Everybody needs to be spanked. And I would talk to my quote unquote vanilla friends. And if I was sitting with a couple, I would say, if there was a flogger on the table right now and one of you had to pick it up and flog the other person, who would it be? And 99 times out of a hundred, they'd be like, bam, bam, bam. They knew. Power exchange is already happening. What we do, the one thing that's different is that we actualize it, we name it, we talk about it, and then we act on it. We don't get weird and passive aggressive and do these little power play things. We just say, I'm the fucking boss of you. And then you say, yes, please be the boss of me. That's amazing. 
So if you're in a relationship, I believe that your next step is going to be to try to explore with your partner, see where they are. And maybe they're not there, but perhaps they would be okay with you exploring that with someone else. Because the thing is that a lot of people consider cheating to be when you go behind someone back and do something. But if you said, you know what, I really want to try spanking. Could I hire like a professional dominant to come and like show us how to do flogging? That might be really fascinating for someone. And there are plenty of professional people who do this as their line of work. If you're a single person, and this applies too for people who are in couples, because couples can do this triads families, however you arrange yourselves. We have in the King community something called a munch. And because perverts love to talk, we love to talk about our shit. We love to talk about your shit, (laughs) consensually or not. And so what was started back in the 80s, actually in Silicon Valley, a bunch of nerds started what was originally called a burger munch. And they would post on the bulletin boards because this was back in the day. And they would say, okay, we're meeting at 6.30 at this uh, burger joint. And there'll be a teddy bear tied up in bondage on the table, so you'll know it's us. Oh, wow. And so you could just walk in there and sit down. And the only thing you knew was that all these people had kinky thoughts. And you would order your hamburger. And it was a very safe environment because you're in public. You're in a, you're in a coffee shop. You're doing the things that you should do when you're first meeting people you don't know, which is do it in a place that feels safer, like in public. You don't have to give your real name. You can say, hey, my name is Mistress Bob. And everyone's like, nice to meet you, Mistress Bob. And then you just have a conversation. You can ask those folks questions. You can be like, okay, I'm new here. What do I do? Because the other thing perverts like to do is to bring in the fresh meat. <laughs> you mentioned the website where we're, we're now, at it because in the 80s it was in the bulletin board. Yes. I think you mentioned me. We do place. have now, yes, a FetLife is the website that I gave with an asterisk and a caveat. Okay. Because like any other place where people gather, there's trauma and drama, but there's also factual information that's great. And one of the things you can do on FetLife, you can join, put up a profile. You do not have to use your real name. You do not have to put up a full picture of yourself. You can get artsy and just take your hand in a glove holding a rose. And that's your avatar for now. You fill out enough so that you have your location and then you can go and search for events. And you can see, hey, there's a um, munch happening because if you live anywhere near a major metropolitan area, I promise you there's a munch near you. And if you're in like a secondary or third level metropolitan area, I'm going to still promise you there's a munch near you. And if there's not, it might be worthwhile for you to take a weekend trip and drive into the big city and go and visit a munch. And the one of the, and it's going to sound weird, benefits of COVID is that a lot of this is now happening online. And so you can have an even safer encounter and visit an online munch, right? Just to be even in the virtual space with other kinky folks can be really helpful. Once you have a FetLife profile, you can then explore and see what's happening in your area. The next level of uh, from a munch is taking a class. A class, a class in what? Oh my gosh, a class not in what? <laughs> There are educational organizations across America, across the world. If you're listening to me in England, I know of two different groups that used to offer monthly classes in London. And These groups are all over the place. So you can look and see, is someone offering a rope bondage class? You may not think rope bondage is shit. You may be like, this looks boring. Why do people do it? That's an excellent reason for you to get your ass into a class. Right. Yeah, totally. To say, hey, what? Oh, ooh, 
maybe that's not something I want to do, but maybe it looks really sexy. Maybe I've always thought I would not want to ever be tied up, but maybe I'm looking into this person who's tied up, blissed out, floating and giggling and laughing, or just having this amazing trip. I want to do that. Or maybe you watch the person who's doing the tying and say, oh, they're taking this person on this journey. They have total control over the body of another person. That's what the fuck I want. That's getting me into a delicious headspace. Maybe you're like, oh my God, I want to be tied up. Oh my God. I also want to tie people up. Congratulations. Your greedy ass is a switch. (laughs) You know, there's certainly people for whom all of it is interesting. All of it is delicious. And those people are switches and we're saying, great, welcome. You will have as much play as you'd like because being flexible is, is usually pretty awesome. And in this community, it's really great to be able to know the play and the kink and the experience from all sides. And then I, another question I have is because it feels like it's a, a, a community, right? Yeah. So do you always kind of know each other or when you know someone you stick with that person or can it be you just go from month to month meeting new partners and suggesting new scenes or Mm -hmm. it depends everything is possible everything is possible and it depends and you will probably try different things before you find which variation works for you and when and why when i first came into the scene i actually took a year of exploring online before i did anything in person because i'm a gifted child And we cannot be wrong and we cannot look stupid. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to learn as much as I can. I want to know everything up until the point where there's nothing more to learn until you do it. You know what I'm saying? So I read all the books. I chatted with all the people. I had all these discussions online because this was the early days of the internet. All of the people who were writing the books were also in the chat rooms. So like, if there is a name on a book, if there's a person who you've heard of in BDSM, I was chatting with them back in the mid nineties. And so what happened was when I finally decided to go to a munch, I was like, okay, I'm going to be going to the San Francisco munch on this date. So a bunch of people who had been sort of watching my sort of newbie discovery were like, I want to meet this chick. She's a little interesting. And so my first munch, I met like 30 amazing old school perverts. <laughs> and of course I was the fresh meat. So then like several dominants were like, well, hello, newbie chick. I understand you're a slave. And I, I did like at that first month, I met the guy who was going to be my first dominant. And you were a slave because of the research you've done. You came to that comp- conclusion. That was your thing or... I came to that conclusion because I'd had a relationship that started off as a one night stand with a lot of really rough sex. And my initial assumption for the first year after I'd met this guy was magic person. I will never find the person who ever fully understands me. And the thought of saying to someone, Hey, could you choke me? Call me a dirty bitch. And like, slutty whore and then spank me and then flip me over and then fuck me really hard. I was like, I can't say that. That's just crazy. So I'm going to have to be with this guy. What started happening after that physical experience was that my desire to do stuff for him kept coming up and kept coming up. And over the course of the next year, I finally realized, you know what? This is not just about him. Something in me is different. And I had to explore that. And I said, okay, what is in me is I as a bossy, 
pushy, aggressive, huge person. I love the idea of someone saying, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, and you're going to do what I want. That turned me on so much. And then when I started having fantasies of being owned as an African-American woman, there was no way I could escape what that meant in the context of non-consensual chattel slavery. And the problem is my fantasies were so dark and so hot. I was first disturbed and horrified, and then I was obsessed. And coming to that question is, did, did part of the work you do, you did to get to that, I guess, kind of space where you found the peace yeah. to be able to be a slave, being an Afro-American woman, mm -hmm. all the history and everything that's mm -hmm. there behind was done just through you being a slave and kind of owning that part or how... It was partially that. It was also just time and living with it. It was also meeting another person who was also African-American, who also identified as a slave, and realizing that she was one of the most well-known and well-respected and longest-lived and highest-profile people. She's like considered like a matriarch in the leather scene. And I said to myself, wow, so like the most well-known consensual slave looks like me. Holy shit. And if she can have been doing this when I was a kid, she was doing that shit in the 70s, in the 80s, I was like, okay, I better just get my little shit together and step up. Because she did it with no one to look at. No one was there to look, for, look to her. And so I... This is going to sound really crazy, but I kind of saw myself in a very specific and strange lineage. And that gave me the strength to say, I want to explore that. And I actually, at first, was very afraid to identify as a slave because how could I use that word? And how could I think that I was that kind of person, that kind of selflessness was who I was because I was like, that's not me. I'm not going to be like kneeling in the corner quietly waiting for you to tell me what to do. And then I discovered that being a slave does not mean kneeling in the corner and being told to wait until you're told what to do. My first service relationship was like that. And after a year and a half and after my soul had been crushed down and I realized that was not for me, I, 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 had, I started mourning. I was like, I really wanted to pursue this role. I really wanted to be owned. I really wanted to feel that sensation. But I don't think I'm cut out for it because I'm too aggressive. I'm too loud. I'm too bossy. I'm too pushy. Um, and then this was when I had my first in-person meeting with this woman, Vi Johnson, who is... Again, she was my hero. And when I met her, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so honored to meet you. I'm so grateful for the book that you wrote because I read that book and then I knew for a fact I was not a slave. And she just looked at me and said, oh, really? Why would you think that? And I told her about the fact that I'm too rebellious and I'm too bossy and I don't want people to tell me what to do when I don't like being managed. And she said, Why did you think you were a slave? And I said, because I really craved that ownership, because I really wanted to be able to pour myself into someone else's service, because I really wanted the freedom of being contained. And I'm going on and on. And she said to me, you know what, Mo? It's not that you're not a slave. It's that that person that you were in service to wasn't the master for you. She said, slave is an identity. 
it's not you doing something. She said, if your heart desires service, if you seek that person, then what you have to do is walk that path until the master who sees you and needs you and knows how to use you. When you find that person for whom your slavery to them makes you feel free and embodied, that's what you're looking for. And 18 years later, I did find him. I have goosebumps. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I appreciate sharing that because I know that for so many people who are curious, their paths diverge and weave around. And this is true for people who want to be slaves or submissives. This is true for people who want to be dominants and tops. So often people are told, oh, you are too, whatever, fill in the blank, to be fill in the blank. And that is absolutely not true. I am a dominant slave. What that means is don't fucking, don't try to pull on my head and direct me. You need to get from A to B. Don't fucking Google map that turn by turn for me. I will figure it out. I'll get us from A to B and you'll be like, holy shit, how did this happen? I'm like, yes, that's right. (laughs) That shit was smooth and invisible, wasn't it? (laughs) Amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Um, I have one more question. Of course. Um, How, I guess, and since we're here at Urban Tantra, and one of the things Barbara talks about in Mm -hmm. her book is the link, right, between Tantra and BDSM. Mm -hmm. How is that experience for you? And also asking, because you at the beginning told us you are not that woohoo person. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which is, which of course, all the people who know me are like, she's so full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the angry priestess. I'm like, I don't even want to talk to God. Okay. I didn't ask for that shit. (laughs) How, so how's that link for you between yeah, I guess, or between how BDSM or, yeah, it has helped, I guess, for the healing part. Sure. One of the things I will say first and foremost is I have crazy hamster brain. People talk about like, oh, monkey brain or whatever else. I'm like, no, I have hamster brain. I have a flock of hamsters that are perpetually renewed. <laughs> like I can smash them down and then three more pop up. <laughs> Sometimes they come to me at 4 a.m. and they're like, <clears throat> Remember that song by Duran Duran that you really liked? We're going to sing it right now. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck, no, God damn it. Save a prayer for the morning after. uh, Sing it again. Fuck. Okay. (laughs) So me and my hamsters have little lighters at four in the morning singing save a prayer, right? This is my fucking life all the goddamn time. The first time in my life that I had absolutely nothing in my head was when I got my first flogging. My brain went blank. And when I came back, I was stunned. I said to my to the person who had flogged me, I was like, I don't even know what just happened. He's like, oh, subspace. I'm like, nah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to box me in with your little subspace shit. Because it wasn't subspace, it was silence. And I wasn't floating, I wasn't flying, I didn't feel liberated from my body, I just felt quiet. And I paid attention to my breathing. You know why? Because when you're getting beaten, a good top will watch your breath. 
And if they can't see you breathing, they will ask you to breathe more deeply because there's some types of flogging where you want to hit them on the exhale because you're pushing energy through or you want to punish them and you hit them on the inhale because that's a lot harder to cope with. It's harder to process and let that energy flow through your body. And so SM was the first time I meditated successfully. And so the link to breath and energy and Tantra is very clear. Yeah. And the idea that your breath can be controlled by someone else using a flogger, using their hand, using just their voice, breathe in, breathe out, hold it, is so powerful. And the thing is, and it's also remarkably safe because you, your body will not hold your breath to the point where you're harmed. You will eventually breathe. But what's great is that you are making an agreement to have this power dynamic where the dynamism is your breath. The dynamism is the impact from a flogger or a hand or a paddle or a whip. And those things taking you into a point where your focus is on your body and on your breathing. And if you're a hamster brain motherfucker like me, those chances are so rare and so precious. And I became addicted early on to play and brutal play at times, because sometimes that's how much it took to get my mind to shut the fuck up. I used to think rope bondage was incredibly boring. I was like, what is the purpose of that? You look and it can take someone 45 minutes just to get you tied up. (laughs) And I'm like, then I'm like, take it off, take it off. We're done. We are done. I was like, why are people doing that? Then I got tied up and I realized that, oh, I, I, I don't have control of my arms or legs anymore. This person could do whatever the fuck they want. Huh. Oh, you've tied this rope so tight that it's difficult for me to breathe. I can only breathe because the rope is really tight. Wow. Okay. So now you're impacting my breathing. And the thing is that after a while, then you start to lose, you start to lose feeling like when you lay on your arm and your arm goes numb. Now a top should be paying attention to that and seeing if there's any tingling and moving or repositioning. But when you start to get into your body in those ways, your thinking changes endorphins, like your body creates amazing drugs for you when you start doing this shit dissociative episodes can happen. You can leave your body or you can go really deep into your body and start experiencing like, what are my kidneys doing right now? It was wild to me what was happening in those, in those areas. And the cool thing about it is it doesn't have to be explicitly sexual. I've done rope bondage scenes where I was fully clothed and in public and it wasn't raunchy. And no one would have thought it was explicitly sexy. And it wasn't necessarily about sex. I think that a lot of times what people forget is that BDSM certainly can be about sex, but it can also be about sensuality. You will see many people in the scene who identify as heterosexual who will play with people outside of their sexual circle because it's a sensual enjoyment, right? Would a heterosexual guy get a massage from another man? Sure, why not? It's fucking massage. Do you get a prostate massage from another man? Sure. Oh my, a guy's in your butt. Are you gay? Are you gay now? Are you just a big old gay? No, you're fucking not. Or maybe you are. I don't know. Yeah. In that case, many, many, many people are. But what's amazing is that you can take that and flip that over into kink and say, I don't need to have sex with you. I don't need to be sexually attracted to you. But if you're a good rope top, 
You can tie me up and I can have my own business. All you need to do is just monitor and make sure that the shit is okay. And that's an amazing freedom. And what I discovered for myself was it was beyond sex, but it was also right within sex. And I could choose if a scene was going to be sexy or not. Mm. And sometimes scenes are just spiritual journeys. Sometimes it is just about an ordeal. Sometimes it's just about laughing and play. And sometimes it is so silly or just like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. And sometimes all of those things come together and become like I have done. I did a scene that was specifically a scene that was supposed to be about racism and race play, like one of the most controversial and difficult types of scenes you can do. And by the end of this one scene, we were laughing until we cried because he ran out of racial epithets. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, this is really hard. It's hard. I had to go on the racial epithet database and look up things to call you. (laughs) (laughs) It has, my mind is like, boom, 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 boom. No, I had this moment. I don't know where to go, but taking (laughs) that one um it has to be a pretty safe space to be able to do that sure like sure probably one of the hardest things and it's Mm -hmm. being done so how does these safe spaces are created is it Mm. a conversation that happens at the beginning of the relationship at the beginning of the scene in between yes it is an ongoing conversation In my opinion, and I feel very strongly on this, good BDSM is a constant conversation. It is always a negotiation. There is no point where the negotiation stops and you know everything. And that is because we are perpetually changing moment to moment. And it's important for us to feel free to change. And so what I tell people is you do have to find a space that feels safe, but sometimes it just needs to be safe enough. Because if you feel like you're totally 100% safe and everything is fine, you're making a mistake. Please don't ever feel 100% safe and 100% fine because you never are. I had I was doing a, a class on negotiation and there was this lovely couple of these like adorable baby dykes and they were like she once stood up and was like, I just can't do like I really want to do terror play. She wanted to be scared. But she's like, I trust her and I love her and I know she would never, ever harm me. And so I just can't get to that headspace. And I was like, you do. You know that. How? And she's like, well, I said, no, wait a second. I said, this is so fascinating because I said, I watch a lot of true crime. And at no point in any true crime show is anyone like, oh, yeah, they were clearly a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it always the quiet neighbor that no one suspected? I said, do you think Lorena Bobbitt planned to chop off her husband's dick for months and months in advance? No. One day she snapped. Yeah. One day she snapped. And I said, so you're looking at me and you're going to tell me 100% that there is nothing that could push your beloved to the point where she might snap. And she got super quiet and her girlfriend was like, thank you. (laughs) I was like, you don't know. If you think you know, I, I, and I, and then I started leaning into it. I was like, cause I saw that her partner was like, yeah. So I'm like, you don't fucking know. 
I said, there could become a point, there could come a point where she has you tied to the bed and walks out. What the fuck are you going to do then? Mm. Well, she would never do that. I'm like, really? And I looked at her, would you never do this? She goes, I probably wouldn't. I was like, that's all you need, probably. So roll the dice. You sit there and you feel 100% safe with this person that you've known for a few years. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at her. <laughs> Motherfuckers is crazy. We all know someone who's lost it at some point and did some crazy shit. Or we, or, or we are that person. We're the person who lost and did some crazy shit. And so this is the thing. The mind is the first is the alpha and omega for our sex lives. And the reality is once you can get into someone's head, that's it. I had, the first time I did a scene, I didn't know it was a scene because I was not touched. I was not struck. I was not ordered to do anything. I just had someone whispering in my ear. And suddenly I started to get dizzy and suddenly my vision is off and suddenly like I'm getting really turned on and suddenly I'm really uncomfortable in my skin. And basically this guy was just whispering in my ear and explaining to me how awesome it would be if I knelt in front of him and kissed his boots. And in about five minutes of this whispering, I was like crawling across the floor and then afterwards, all the people, this was, this was at a truth or dare party. And then afterwards, all these kinky people were like, oh my God, that was so hot. Oh my God, I've never seen a scene that was like that. Oh my God, like seasoned perverts were like, and then all these women were like, what did he say to you? I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> like, it seemed like words that made sense. And then I just remember like being like, I really should like kneel on the floor and, and kiss you his do. boots. Cool. Like, that's all I want to do right now. That was, and, and, and they explained to me, they're like, no, no, that was a scene because a scene is not about what happens to your body. A scene is about your trip. It's about your mind. It's about your soul. It's about what happens within you. And the reality is that there is no condition of your body. There's no mental condition. There's no physical condition. There's no physiological condition that can stop you from engaging in SM because wherever you are, SM is. It doesn't matter if you are brand new and have never done this before. It doesn't matter if you've been doing this for 50 years and are old and jaded. You'll find your way to it when you're open and you have that desire for it. And in terms of safety and, and safeness, some people actually need to feel unsafe. And so they make those choices. And my thing is about informed consent okay. and risk. We used to have an acronym that was safe, sane, and consensual. SSC was the thing. And that's how you sold it to people. You're like, we're safe, we're sane, we're consensual. Then people started thinking about that. Well, here's the thing. Sanity is relative. Mm -hmm. Safety is also relative. I happen to think if you are a professional skier, you're a fucking idiot. Why the hell are you on two sticks plummeting down a mountain at 50 miles an hour, you idiot? And yeah, people are allowed to do that. But if I get tied up and I'm suspended upside down in a ballroom in a hotel, suddenly I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'm the one taking risks. And so all of that is relative. So currently what people use is an acronym called RAC, R-A-C-K, which is risk aware consensual kink. Oh. So that means you are aware there's a risk and you're saying, I'm committing to this. I know it's could be potentially dangerous. Consent is still there because that's the constant and king, right? So 
so risk-aware consensual kink means that I'm saying I'm aware that this could be potentially dangerous. I'm going to do it as long as there is consent. And what we add is enthusiastic consent. So if you want to do a scene, it's not like, okay, sure. No. That's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. How can we make this happen? Okay. It's not necessarily a place of joyous enthusiasm for the thing. And it sets you up for more compromise, which can set you up for more disappointment. And that's how it works. Like you, you, you go to the dungeon or whatever, and then someone approaches you and like, Hey, you mm -hmm. seem like you would be good to do this yeah, scene. That is a way it can work. It yeah. can also work that as we said before, you bring a partner, It can also work that you can go on to specifically kink websites and meet people and chat and negotiate with them, maybe meet them at a munch. I advocate very much for the cautious steps. Yeah. You know, do it like you would in the rest of the world. Don't assume that because you're coming into the kink community that it's a utopia. Okay. This is my, I'm constantly beating this drum. It is a microcosm of the world, not a utopia. It's not as though the educated and beautiful milk cream has been skimmed from the top. This is like a core sample of everyone from like high priests and priestesses and nuns to serial killers. Yeah. We have seen all of those people come through the community, yeah. like through the legitimate community. When that like slave master guy in a barrel shit hit, There were people in his area who knew that man. There were people who knew his victims. That was a situation that we watched unfold, you know? And so I tell people, you can't come in here and just drop your guard. You bring in with you everything that you have done up to that point. Keep your wits around you. Keep your gut instinct. Meeting people online is fine. Maybe if you're going to do something where you're engaging and play with them, what you can do is meet that person and play with them in a place that's going to provide some buffer of safety, like a public dungeon. And most, again, most larger cities have public dungeons where you can go pay a fee and, um, and have play space. And what that means is that there's folks around. And so that minimizes your risk of having something go south and you not having help. You will notice I say minimized. I did not say eliminates because shit yeah. can always go wrong. And I'm, and I'm hammering this home because I don't want folks to think they can just breeze in here and take off their underpants and everything will be fine. You have to keep it safe. So you can meet people, bring them in with you and explore. If you're super brave, absolutely. You can go to an event, to a dungeon party or to a conference. because of course you may have noticed that perverts like to talk. <laughs> and so we're constantly having conferences and you can go and just Google BDSM conference, kink conference, leather conference, and you will find one in your region. And you can just register and go and just check it out. You don't have to do shit. You can just walk around and see how it is. And maybe you'll be sitting in a class and turn to someone and be like, oh, they're kind of cute. I wonder if uh, I could maybe tie them up. Maybe they'd like to tie me up. And that's another way to ease into it is just start by meeting people. Start by experimenting. You don't have to know what you like, but you do have to be curious yeah. and keep that open beginner's mind. And the great thing about BDSM is that the beginner's mind is easy to maintain because there's always something new. There's always something you haven't done. I was like two or three years in the scene before I started thinking, maybe I kind of want to do pony play. And then I was embarrassed because I was like, this is so silly. <laughs> Look at these grown ass adults putting on fucking ears and tails and running around going. <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. Until I walked into a, a, a kink festival and this woman was selling pony outfits. And I was like, ah, 
Oh my God. Here's the thing. I am an actor. I love, love it. costumes. <laughs> so when I looked at it and I saw an amazing costume and the vendor's like, oh, this is exactly your skin tone. And I was like, oh my God, it is. So it just blended in and I had my little ears and I had my little mane and she put like this thing on and I was like, this just looks cool. <laughs> I had like that big feather plume on my head. I was like, this is fantastic. I feel like I'm in Mardi Gras. And then a woman who I'd known for a few years at that point from a, the, the, the entire sales floor turns around and goes, oh, pony, and comes running up. And she's like five foot nothing. And she literally flips the reins over my head, jumps on my back and goes, giddy up, pony mo. <laughs> and I'm like, this fucking bitch. <laughs> I like it. Fine. But I was like, fine, whatever. So I'm like, okay. So I started walking around. I'm like rolling my eyes. And then someone runs up and goes, oh, I didn't know Mo was a pony. Turns to the woman on my back and says, can I pet her? And I'm like, you don't ask her. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And she's like, of course, isn't she pretty? And then as I'm about to say, because there's a bit in my mouth, they started petting my head. And then she's like, oh my God, I have a snack and handed me like a little bit of a granola bar. And I was like, all right, well, I'll have that <laughs> Guess I'm having granola bars now. And then more people came over and were like, oh my God, it's a pony. She's so pretty. Let me pet her. And in 10 minutes, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like high stepping. I'm like doing my little turns and prancing around. And what was amazing is that I was petted and told how pretty I was and I didn't have to do shit. <laughs> and my constant sensation of having to earn attention and affection of respect for the first time in my life fell away. I didn't have to do anything. I could stand there with these fucking ears on and have people tell me I was pretty and feed me snacks. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with that? <laughs> Nothing. Anyone I'm not want that? Raise your fucking, like, who doesn't want that? No, Everybody want wants I that. Want <laughs> and if you don't want that, you certainly want to pet that pony and give it treats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone finds themselves on one side of that equation. And here's the thing. We call play. We call scenes. These are not scary terms. These are specifically to show you that we're doing what children do. Yeah. We are finding the purity of our childhood that so many of us lost. There was so much of my childhood that was pulled away because I couldn't afford to be that innocent. I couldn't afford to play and pretend all the time. Yeah. I had shit to do. I had auditions to go on. I had like commercials to shoot. I had to make sure I was earning enough money to help support the family. And so now the fact that I can take a weekend and be like, fuck all this shit, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not loading the dishwasher or unloading it because I have hooves, motherfucker, and I can't <laughs> fucking load that plate. <laughs> and it took me almost 10 years to accept that and to lean into it. Nice. And I tell people, I'm like, don't be afraid. It doesn't matter how foolish you think it is. There's someone doing it even more crazily than you can imagine. And that person is living their best life. So jump in, please. Yeah. And it's amazing what people discover when they let go of the idea that they feel stupid or that it's silly. 
Totally. I think this was, thank you for this story because it was a breathing also in my mind, a lot of, or I guess what scares me um, or brings a little resistance is th th that I kind of have the BDSM too much link, for example, with the needles. And I uh, yes. think that they're like, okay, maybe that's intense, but maybe uh, it's easier to, to ease in. Yeah, you don't have to do that. Yeah, no, and maybe, who knows, right? Like, we don't know what's going to happen, but maybe it doesn't mean, like, from zero to needles, but it can exactly. be, like, pony, because I kind of like that so for So, for example, <laughs> I didn't want to do needles when I first started because I scar very easily. And I was like, I, if, if anything that goes into my body, and I would tell this to Tops, I said, if you mark me, that is permanent. So you break the skin or you even draw a welt. I can have, I have marks that from welts that will last for years. I said, so don't fuck around. And I was doing a, a demo bottom for a class and it was for Cleo Dubois, who's like legendary, famous Dom and she's amazing. And I absolutely trust her. And I thought I was doing a demo for X, Y, and Z. And then she was like, Mo, can I put the needles? She's French. She's amazing. And I'm like, I'm not doing needles. I was, just, I was like, Cleo, you know, I don't want to do that. She goes, how about you do it to yourself? And I'm like, I can't pierce myself. What the fuck are you even on about? No. And she's like, okay. And I was like, wait, what do you mean pierce myself? <laughs> <laughs> so after I talked myself into it, I stood there and it was like, she had me like, just take a pinch of skin on my chest, on my breast that was, you know, soft and whatever else. She goes, remember when we were kids and you would just put a needle through the dead skin on the tip of your finger? You'd be like, ah, I yeah. pierced myself. She goes, it only has to be that deep. One pinch. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, I can do that. So I was like, poink, just, just do the barely, like I could have just popped it out and it would have just left a little whatever. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And she's like, oh, can I do one? And I was like, no. So she's like, okay, why don't you do another one? And I'm like, okay, fine. Cause I'm an idiot. So I'm like, did another one. And by that point I did it a little deeper. And so I started to get a little high because here's the thing. Like there's an endorphin rush that comes with piercing. That's why people love it. Cause it's a quick, fast way to get that drug. So by the third needle, she's like, can I do it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, are you sure? And I, cause she's not, she's checked yeah, in and yeah. we did things. She's like, I want to make sure. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, she's like, oh. and I said, you cheated. Cause now I'm high. So, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but she put one in and then she put it under the first one I had done. So it formed a little X and then she started tapping it. And it wasn't deep, it didn't bleed, but the tapping was just enough of this sensation that started running across my skin. And I was like, oh, this is, okay. oh, this is, and she's turning to the glass, she goes, yes, if you, sh if you do a very shallow piercing, doesn't cause, you know, much pain at all. But when you start tapping it, the intersection of that, the slight amounts of pain start to trigger that endorphin rush. And so she says, here's a way to get, and she goes, I call these little endorphin buttons because you can put just a couple of these on someone and just go doodle-doo and have them flying within 10 minutes without any blood, without any like scars, without any deep craziness. She goes, and most people can find their way to this. This is not like a piercing with like 80 needles in a pattern and there's blood running everywhere. There wasn't any blood. The needles were very fine gauge, so I barely felt them, but it was amazing. And this is the thing, a good top will get you to beg them for the thing you don't want. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm like, boom, boom. <laughs> wow. It's such a fantastic journey. And the great thing is that you can do it at your own pace, you can stop entirely 
and say, you know what, this is, I'm done. And then five years later to be like, actually, you know what? Let's try it again. And jump right back in. It's there waiting for you. And it is completely a hundred percent flexible to who you are and what you want right now. And I mean, I'm going through so many shifts myself. I had a really interesting process on our first day here at Urban Tantra, where we were just doing like some breathing shit. And I, my mind went to here and then went to here. And I started thinking about my submission and about my sexuality and about some issues I've been having with like, you know, menopause and my libido being very weird. And I'm like, you know, my husband and I, like the analogy I make is that like for our libido, he is a hummingbird and I am a camel. He is like, (laughs) can't sit still for too long. I might die. Uh, Oh, what what is that? What is that? A puddle of water? see you next month. And he's like, and, and at first I was like, we're mismatches and not working. He's like, no, because like, as part of my submission, I'm like, what can I do for you? You need some wiener stuff tonight? Let me hook you up. I got you. <laughs> but when I need what I want, he's like so there and so delighted to provoke that insane, like two and a half hour orgasm. Yeah. And he's like, you know, we are different, but we had to find our way to Amazing. where we can work together and do this. And it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. And of course there's frustration sometimes, but at the heart of it is that we both really care about each other. And we both know that we are getting as much pleasure as we possibly can with both hands, squeezing it out of this relationship and out of our lives together. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Very cool. Like, I'm, um, in awe. <laughs> 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 I had goosebumps. I, Ooh, wonderful. Yeah, like, Well, (laughs) if you, well, uh, this is now an hour long episode. So is there anything else you want to touch on or or, or talk about any other stuff you want to bring up? I would like to ask a question. Yeah. Hi, we're bringing in our second guest. We have like a studio audience tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Mo. That has been just fascinating. I also had like goosebumps and, um, introduce yourself because now people are like, wait, what just happened? For sure. Hi. Yeah. My name is Sarah. I go by pronounce she, her, hers, and I'm the wife of Valentina together. Yeah. Together. We are the founders of rising love. Give us your website. It's www.riseinlove.coach. So it's not got, .com, but .coach. C-O-A-C-H. So it's R-I-S-E. I N S E I N L O V E because dot C O A C H. Correct. I didn't even know that was an extension. Look at the fucking yes. internet. Now there's oh. domain. Now there is a dot gay domain. By the dot way. gay, I have seen. Yeah, but I did not know dot coach was a yeah. thing. Like I just found there was it was like dot New York. I was like, what the fuck? Why do we need a New York extension? But okay. Uh huh. <laughs> Rising Love was also registered for dot gay, but we're yes. like mostly going with dot coach. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. But yeah, I was also like super fascinated to hear all of that and maybe one question that was coming up to my mind was uh, actually inspired by the book that we were reading for this program the urban tantra and the book if i remember correctly was titled radical ecstasy 
Yeah, Radical Ecstasy yeah. is fantastic. The author, one of the co-authors, was describing a scene where they were using a scalpel, and I think it was a partner scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a solo scene, but mm-hmm. basically it was all about like cutting the skin. Yes. And she was explaining how it's the sensation of it. It's beyond pain, and it's also like really feeling like she has no skin at all, and mm. really, like exploring what would that feel. And I remember just discussing with Valentina that's like perhaps like more people are into exploring those sensations whether they are like physical sensations mm-hmm. or more like emotional states or more healing states however like it's immediately labeled in our society any practice like that it's immediately labeled as self-harm yes. and it's immediately also categorized as like some kind of mental health problem right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and probably all the therapists i'm guessing are trained to kind of treat it right yeah uh, however the way that the, the author was exp- uh, explaining it was like that it can be very healing or bringing you to transcendental states yes so i was just wondering like yeah like who gets to decide on this list <laughs> of like okay this is healthy and sane and mentally accepted by whatever psychiatric association right, versus right. no this is not you know right that's awesome This is so fantastic. And some of my acquaintances and friends have worked in order to shift this. There's this uh, guy, Charles Moser, who's a therapist and has a bunch of letters after his name. And he was one of the folks that led a committee to have the DSM, which is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is like the Bible for therapists, several years back, shifted so that BDSM was no longer in the pathology area. So the DSM officially is saying this is not something to be treated unless it is something that the patient is saying they need to work on. So as a, oh, you do SM, therefore you need to have this treated. So that shift has started. So there are therapists who do understand that cutting, for example, can be a, what is it, like a, not moderation, but when you have, when you're doing something, that cutting can be a harm reduction model modality. People are starting to get that. People are also starting to see how a lot of BDSM can be therapeutic for folks who are processing stuff. And I mean, I gave a lecture in front of like a couple of grand of therapists and just talking about how SM and kink escorted me into a place in my life where I could be sober and responsible and do self-care and seek out relationships that were healthy for me because I was using power exchange as a way to mitigate my martyr complex, my low self-esteem, because I had to be proud and strong and fierce and all this other shit. And so to have therapists be like, wait a second, so you can do this freaky shit and it actually supports you and lifts you up and lifts up your self-esteem. So wait, you can use cutting as a way to control what's happening within your body. And so people are starting to see that there's a harm reduction model that's happening with things like that. And so the shift has begun. And what's very vital and very important, and what I always say to people again and again, is what we do can be therapeutic. It is not therapy. It is not a substitute for therapy, but it can support your process. I have met thousands of people over the years who are abuse survivors, who do scenes either to take back their power or to avenge themselves on their abusers, to do the psychodrama of 
you're going to do this to me. Now I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to beat the shit out of you. I was invited to do a, uh, to talk about race and race play on a show. My friend has a show sex with Sunny Megatron. And it's one of these like HBO shows where like they explore sexy taboo subjects. And she said, the producers want to do a thing about race, but I told them the only person who's allowed on my show to talk about it is Mo Williams. So if she says no, it's not happening. And she goes, or I'll get her to come on the show and talk about why we're not doing it. And so I said, oh, no, I'll do it. Absolutely. I said, but I'm not going to do what they think I'm going to do. And so the scene that we did was a setup where I had a friend of mine who's like a big old, like burly gay who can totally code switch to big old burly redneck. And the psychodrama we set up was that he was the racist neighbor who was pissed off at the, you know, N-bomb bitch down the hall who's cranking up her dirty rap hip, hippity hop, whatever crap. And so like the scene played out and he comes pounding on the door and I open the door and he's like in my face and I'm just standing there. And he was every white person, every white man I've ever wanted to punch in the face. And I reared back and kicked him in the balls. And as he dropped to the ground, I just grabbed him by the scruff, dragged him in the apartment and beat the shit out of him. And at the end of the scene, I was like, we were like, okay, he's like red. And I'm like, okay, checked in, did the thing. And then we both just started laughing. He was just like, you're such a bitch. I'm like, God damn, that felt so good. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had like our, you know, our aftercare and decompressing in our discussion. But what was so great is that people were like, oh, wait a second. It never occurred to me. That's what it could be. Yeah, but if, if I can have like a follow-up question on yeah. that, because actually when you were talking before about those race scenes, it also reminded me of a chapter from Radical Ecstasy. That's mm-hmm. probably the only book on SM that I've read so far, <laughs> and I haven't even finished that one. <laughs> um, but they were also talking about there was a whole chapter on on mind facts, and yeah. there was a particular scene about race. And if I understood correctly, it was actually two white folks playing that scene. And they were having a scene of like a master and slave and it got me super triggered. And I was like, I don't understand it. It just perpetuates it. And like, what's healing about it? And so I'm curious because your experience is different, but you also take part in the scenes sure. as an African-American woman. Right. I, I will say I am a little bit taken aback to hear that like two white people would I do. I think so. Don't, like, don't, right. maybe, well, I mean, and, and maybe they weren't. But he, here's my thing about doing these scenes. In my opinion, and my opinion is very strong on this, it is very important to have the reasons why you're doing the scene be deep reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't care why you're doing a spanking scene. You don't have to have a profound spiritual journey you're going on to do a spanking scene. Many people do. But if you say to me, I'm just doing because I think it's fun, that doesn't make my back go up. But if you're doing a chattel slave and master scene because you think it's fun, that makes me so, my body gets agitated when I hear that because I do not feel like those are quote unquote fun scenes. Can they be silly and fun? Yes. However, it is my opinion that the person who is bringing the DNA into the scene is the one who has to call that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because I think we had the similar reaction. Sexual assault scene for fun Mm -hmm. who okay like people can do that but my practice is outside of that Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to be the person you should come to for that advice Mm -hmm. because my thing is those sorts of scenes are evoking something real powerful Mm -hmm. and if you're not ready for the why then you're definitely not ready for the aftermath and the aftermath can be a lot 
And my thing is, you have to go into these scenes ready to say, if it goes sideways, if this person dissociates, if this person regresses, are you ready to handle that? And to making our body shake. And I think it's because it wasn't clear mm. why they were doing yeah. it. Yes. Uh, this is the thing. There, there are scenes where I feel the why is critical. If you are doing a scene that is specifically like a role play that you are bringing up a, a difficult or controversial situation, if you're doing an incest and that's the thing is that they're not, people oftentimes aren't really sure. And those types of scenes that are difficult, scenes that are, and you were asking about safe space. One of the things that oftentimes kinky people will do is create specifically safe spaces for those scenes. And so there was a taboo play party that they would host in San Francisco. And so for that party, if you were easily disturbed, you knew not to fucking go. You knew that that was not the party for you. You knew you were going to be seeing some shit. You knew that this that there were going to be people in full Nazi regalia. You knew that there were going to be people doing very dark age play scenes. So age play being where people are not necessarily their chronological age. If you walk into a dungeon and you see someone crying and begging mommy not to beat them on a standard night, that's a lot. <laughs> and so people are generally encouraged to like keep their darker, heavier scenes in a way that is um, respectful of shared space. Mm. That's sort of how we approach it is to say in shared space, try not to like push, try not to top the room. Mm. And there are people who try to top the room. You'll hear the stories of the person who shows up to the regular Tuesday night party in full Nazi regalia, mm. non-consensual topping of the room. Mm. You want to do that? My recommendation is host the fucked up party. Host the party where, you know, like as my friend did, had her boyfriend dress up like Colonel Sanders. She dressed up like Aunt Jemima and it was on. And it was this, this was the perfect example of a hilarious race play scene because it was so absurd because here they and it was deep, too, because here you had two common icons. No one thought about Aunt Jemima until a few years ago. I mean, when I say no one, I mean white America, yeah. right? No one thinks about the legacy of Colonel fucking Sanders. But then to have a guy dressed up like, you know, the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy jamming chicken legs down Aunt Jemima's throat, you're just like, woo, woo, motherfucker. But it's also hilarious yeah. and yeah. horrible. And so you're like, oh, no, 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 hang on. Like you're veering back and forth. And in the realm where the room has been made for that, it's great. My own personal bias, we were talking earlier today about bias. My bias is treat the room as a shared space. Would you shit in the middle of the punch bowl in the party? You probably wouldn't. So don't yeah. shit in the punch bowl by bringing that shit into a party where people were expecting it yeah. and could not create their own boundaries around it. Thank you. That's you know, that's that, yeah, and it's very helpful, especially because like yeah, one of the one of the parts where I actually stopped listening to the book because we were listening to it was about, yeah. exactly about a scene of incest, and it was just like too triggering for me. Yeah, and and later on we were also advised that like actually the authors are super pro players who have been doing it for years and they know exactly what they are doing and you know they they play at the deep their end wife, and their wife was probably pretty clear, exactly so. but for me yeah i i just didn't get that why so you explaining that it's super important to know the why and that it's also about like consent of the whole room or the whole party you know yeah. like it's it a it has to be community to based i mean the thing that's interesting is that um Age play and that sort of darkness are things that are so 
creepily woven into society already, but not discussed. Look at how Britney Spears started her career, basically giving you 15 year old girl energy and waving her ass in your face. And this was okay. She's literally dressed like a Catholic schoolgirl. Look at the whole Catholic schoolgirl porn iconography. We are sold teenage girls as sex objects. And so there's this sort of comfort, and I put comfort in quotes, with that, where I, I wish there really wasn't, because that shit's very heavy. It's very common in some cultures for people to call their partner daddy. You hear someone like, hey, puppy in the street. I don't stop. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, oh my God, is that your dad? <laughs> sugar daddies are a thing. Oh my God, is that your father feeding you sugar? <laughs> it's not. But this is the thing, like that sort of language gets so blended in that people forget what they're saying. Yeah. And so as a kinky person, it is my belief that if you want to have a successful, juicy and long lived kinky career, know why you're doing it because then you can help your partner access it more successfully. I do not have a history of sexual abuse as a child. So if I were to do a no daddy, don't touch me down there scene, it would not be the same as someone who is a survivor. And so my why is going to be different. And if the top doesn't know what the why is, then they're going to maybe hit a landmine. And so I let people know. I said, you don't necessarily have to know why you want a spanking. It's helpful if you do. But if you don't know, say you don't know, and then explore the whys as you're exploring. Come to your why, because that will help you dive deeper. If your why is because it makes you feel sexy and hot, great. If your why is because it makes you feel ashamed and punished, is that cool? Go deep, go deep. Go deeper. Why do you want to feel ashamed and punished? Because it turns me on. Great. Because it fulfills my sensation of being worthless, maybe not so great. Mm -hmm. So this is why the why becomes useful, Mm -hmm. because that will help you find the places where maybe you're punishing yourself Mm -hmm. instead of saying, this is juicy and hot and I love it. And I don't really care why the why. I just want to know that you know so that you can dive deeper into it and be safer and healthier and have it be something that you can sustain. This is what I want for people, to be able to do it as long as they want, not to have a horrible experience that pushes them out. That always makes me sad, and I respect it, and I see it all the time, but I really would rather wish that people just feel good and then stop because they want to stop versus they stop because someone harmed them or because they they had a boundary violation or something along those lines. That's so painful and so scary to me. And if you know your why, you can reduce the chances of having those derailments. Again, not a promise, but it's a lot better. You have a much better shot at getting to where you want to be if you know why you're going. For sure. sure. Awareness, you know, is the key. It's a thing, man. And it's so important with kink because that means that your partners have a better way in with you. And if you're a top and a dominant and you don't know why, I would not submit to that person Mm -hmm. because what if their why is because they hate women yeah 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 and they're out there yes and they're in here yes the misogynists are also dominants and you don't want to bottom to those people and i also want to say this doesn't mean that someone with a diagnosis is ineligible for kink 
Whatever your diagnosis is, acknowledge it, cope with it, deal with it, be upfront about it, and play within it. If you have depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, all of those things are manageable, but you've got to know them and you've got to know the why around your play with those things. And sometimes you don't even know till you get there. And then you're like, pff, pff. I'm like, oh my God, I had a scene where I dissociated. I'd never had a dissociative moment. So I didn't know what was happening until I unpacked it. And I was like, oh, there were three times before everything went really bad where I missed chunks of stuff that happened. Mm. So we were on the table doing something and then I blinked and suddenly I was across the room doing something else. Mm. Now, people who've had dissociative episodes would have known that this is a signal of a, either a complete dissociate or the beginning of an episode. That's one of the things that people who spoke to me afterwards said, yeah, that's, that what ha that's what happens to me. I start to blink out. It's like you close your eyes and open them again and stuff has happened. Wow. And so I was like, oh shit, well now I know. Mm. But I didn't know at the time. Mm. And so my learning curve was based on having things go real south and then coming back from that and then having to unpack what the fuck happened. And because I knew I was doing the scene as an ordeal path journey, the fact that it became even darker and uglier and more terrifying than I thought was growth mm -hmm. instead of a horrible scene that damaged me because I knew my why. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. Like, if you know the why, garbage and muck and filth can become fertilizer. If you don't know the why, garbage and muck and filth will toxify your system and you'll rot. Mm. It makes so much sense. <laughs> and it's super clarifying, I have to say. It's a lot of context I was missing. Same. Now I got to read this book and be like, you guys. <laughs> we, we also started hardcore with exactly. the book. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't start at a beginner's book. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, Apparently pretty pro, and that's probably so the reason of so much confusion. Yeah. yeah. There's a book called Different Loving. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. It was one of the books that was out when I was coming out, and it was the second African-American submissive woman's account I had read mm -hmm. after Vi Johnson's. And I read that, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. There's at least two of us. Okay. So I'll be all right. You know, because at first I was like, I am the only black woman who has ever laid here jerking off to thoughts of being an actual slave. No one else has ever. <laughs> But so different lovings is also really helpful. There's also a book I have a couple of essays in, so I'm biased, but it's called The Ultimate Guide to Kink. Okay. And it's a bunch of essays. So what's great about that is you get a lot of different perspectives, yes. right? You will link so, them all. Yeah, yeah. You will link well, them yes. all. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Cody, please put links. And then he's like, God damn it. And I'm like, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. But yeah, if you could, if you could put these titles in the thing that would be helpful. And I will also try to remember, but yes, those were books that were very helpful for me. Again, that the ultimate guide to kink really helpful. Seeking out books that specifically are collections of essays, I find are great because then you're getting various perspectives. You're not trapped one. in one person's world. And you will also notice, if you notice, most of the books on SM either have like interviews or are essay collections. A lot of them are built that way. Or there's multiple people collaborating. This is why I worked on this other book with someone else because their experience of being trans and being in the scene as a female identified dominant 
and then transitioning and being a male identified nominate, like he had a lot of shit to bring into the mix that was really interesting. So we said, and me as a person who is a woman of color and submissive, we're like, between us, we have a lot of perspectives that are not the dominant <laughs> paradigm that you see in so many of these books. Yeah. And so we were coming into it from that way. And that I felt was really helpful. And there are really good books, but like it, it, they, the, this is the problem is that so many times they're forgetting that people who are reading sometimes have no idea no what the fuck and need to know basic shit. Like, why are you doing this? What the hell is this for? Mm-hmm. And so that gets missed often. So thank you for bringing that up because I'm like, oh yeah. And this will encourage me because I, how many years have people said, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> too much pressure. <laughs> but now my husband looks like his memoir is about to be published. So now the pressure is on. I'm like, God damn it. I have to. <laughs> Fuck. All right. He's like, ha, 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 I will have my book published first. I'm like, oh no, you will not, sir. <laughs> it's like, don't even try it. I was like, I already have my shit published. It's just not like my own big book. He's like, it doesn't count. I'm like, it does count. <laughs> well, we can't do it. I know. It's been incredible. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you I am so grateful to you because, again, as I mentioned earlier today, it's easy to get jaded or tired or not or sometimes forget why you're doing a thing and coming to places like this and having people who were like, tell me some stuff. And I can say, oh, wait, everything I've been grinding through for the past 25 years is helpful. So thank you for allowing me to be of service. Oh, thank you. what a beautiful service. Thank you. I think you got us pretty like, hmm. Where do we start? You can be my friend on FetLife. I will warn you, I'm terrible. I like, I'm almost never on there. I'm like, <laughs> because there is, there's so much like just drama, bullshit, racism, sexism, ismismism. And then you lay all that on top of like people who want to be the experts. And so like a lot of us who are the experts are like, we don't have time for this. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and fight with people who are yeah, like, like, like oh, there's a hierarchy. First you're a bottom, then you're a submissive, then you move up to slavery. I'm like, no. That's like saying you start off as a monkey and then you evolve <laughs> to a giraffe and then you like grow up and you're elevated to elephant. Those are three different species, motherfuckers. What the fuck are you on about? Oh, Jesus. Well, welcome, welcome internet. The place of experts. Everyone's an expert. <laughs> you. So, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been incredible. I'm going to like listen to it. (laughs) And now he's going to be like, how the fuck long is this episode? I'm like, yeah, I feel like this is fair because I did miss an episode last week. So now people get to like dive into the juiciness and have like a full double and a half episode. Nice. What an honor and pleasure to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, you guys. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.